Thanks for listening to the Dr. Drew Podcast on Podcast One. Hi, everyone. It's Heather Dubrow telling you to check out Heather Dubrow's World on Podcast One. Every week, we discuss the hippest, hottest news trends in health, wellness, parenting style, and so much more, including all things housewives and botched. Download new episodes of Heather Dubrow's World on Thursdays and Fridays on Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Well, the importance of eating healthy can't be overstated, but we don't always have the time to, to eat um, consciously, uh, mindfully, and to cook all the things that are so important. Well, and of course, we all know that all plants are not created equal. If you've got a busy schedule, it's hard to get all the nutrients on the go, even if you you know have the time to juice vegetables, and that takes forever, let's face it. And it's hard to purchase all that and buy enough to keep it going. So here's an easy way to do so. Organifi, it makes it easy to fill your life with more nutrition with superfood blends. Add a scoop to a glass of water to energize and nourish your day with carefully picked adaptogens, fruits, vegetables, also mushrooms, and more. It's one of the easiest, healthy choices you can make each day. Again, check out Organifi's line of superfood blends. Go to Organifi.com slash Dr. Drew. That is O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com slash D-R-D-R-W. Use code Dr. Drew at checkout for 20% off your order. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Dr. Drew Podcast. Uh, all the usual reminders. We'll see you at drdrew.tv or drdrew.com. We've got everything over there. Don't forget the streaming shows where we address a lot of these same kinds of topics, but in sort of a more... Mm, Real-time, conversational kind of environment with calls and all, but uh, do check it out, drdrew.tv, and don't forget to Instagram, Dr. Drew Pinsky, and uh, also TikTok, at uh, Dr. Drew. We do a bunch of live stuff over there periodically, and uh, I imagine most everyone here is is uh, also watching the Adam and Dr. Drew show, so we appreciate that. And support the people that support us. We can keep doing this thing. Uh, today, it is David Robeck. David uh, has a book, Will Work For, The Untold Stories of Homelessness, available everywhere now. Bridge Counseling Associates, the website is bridgecounseling.org, Nevada's only certified community behavioral health clinic. Uh, David was a commercial banker for 25 years and now is in the area of substance, homeless, co-occurring disorders. He is the co-chair of the Substance Abuse Prevention and Treatment Agency Advisory Board. Uh, David, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here this morning. How how did uh, – just give us that story first. How did you go from banking to this? That's not a natural transition. No, not, not usually. I don't usually see that. Lots of behavioral health colleagues, very few started in banking for that right. period of time, especially. Right. Well, I was a preacher's kid here in Las Vegas when, when Las Vegas was a small oh, town. Got it. As a, you Check, got it. <laughs> yeah, right. I, <laughs> I, you know, I know a lot of children of um, clergy and of various stripes very involved or very interested in the homeless thing. They, 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 I imagine you have the same reaction to it that I do, which is – you know, these are these are the patients I served for 35 years. Now, being allowed to languish and die in the streets, and I'm sure from your perspective, they're similar to the people you saw your father counseling and serving. Exactly true. In yeah. fact, I would deal with the children of those people uh, as a preacher's kid. I was always the parents would deal with uh, wow. uh, the adults, and both of my parents were licensed ministers, as a matter of fact. And so they would just say, "Here, David, go work with these kids." And I had four older brothers, so we all kind of. Uh, 
pinch hit at, at that time. And none of us knew what we were doing except being kind and, and trying to draw real people out of, out of their lives. And to be fair, back then it was a little less specifically open-air asylums like we have now. Correct. Um, and, and in fact, um, you know, most of the, the, the problem was alcohol. And in Las Vegas, of course, alcohol was very um, free and easy to get and problematic. So we would see alcohol and we'd see problem gambling, not so much drugs at the time. We have a, we have uh, a guy here named Reverend Andy Bales that runs the New Rescue Mission. He's a famous, you know, uh, Sir, service oriented, uh, what should we call him? Servant, famous servant here in, in Southern California. And um, his de- father, like much like yours, was the same way. And he said, Yeah, back then, you know, we've been doing this since the turn of the century. And he goes, Back at the turn of the century, uh, my dad used to pull the wagon up by the bars. And if somebody was interested in getting on the wagon and getting sober, <laughs> they'd pull them <laughs> into the union. I thought, Wow, I guess that's where that came from. Incredible. I always wondered that too. Yeah. They usually ended up in uh, sleeping in our church. They would get it, you know, find their way in the church building and sleep there. So yeah. Yeah. Well, it wasn't quite in the wagon. They <laughs> but getting on the wagon, I was like, oh my god, there it is. Um, so and so, you, I imagine, have sort of always wanted to do something like this, and finally found the opportunity. So I was uh, as a banker. I would always. Let's put it this way. I don't like to golf. It doesn't, it's not appealing to me, especially in the heat of of Las Vegas weather and hanging out with three guys that have, you know, foul mouths and, (laughs) and talk the the way they want to talk. That just didn't interest me to spend five hours that way. So I said, look, I told my bosses, look, I'll do anything to help. I said, I'm happy to serve on boards of directors of agencies. So I served on eight to 10 boards and was very active in that, wrote grants and things like that. And then I went uh, mid-career, I joined Peace Corps to go to Russia because it was the first group to go to Russia Mm. and they were looking for business people. So I qualified for that, went to Russia and found myself working in both business and in nonprofit in the nonprofit world, because nonprofits really did not exist back then in hmm. Russia in the early 90s. And so I would help them, uh, some small groups, uh, try to connect with uh, international or national American groups that would help them with MS or, you know, a polio foundation or something like that, some some kind of a foundation that, that would help them along further. So I didn't get too involved in that. And then um, after spending four years there, not only two with Peace Corps and two more with a, a developmental banks, um, I came back home and turned around and went back and adopted four four boys, Mm. uh, all special needs. I said, you pick out the kids. I know it's strange for an American to want to adopt two kids at a time, but uh, I said, so you pick them out. So I met my first two the day before I adopted them. Russian Russian kids? Russian kids, yeah. yeah. Do you speak Russian? Uh, I did a a lot better than I do today, but that's been well over 20 years. Okay, okay. Uh, yes. So that, and so I came back, finished out a career in banking, then was bad car accident. So I said, what can I do that is not so intense? And so the work I did was I started a small nonprofit and went to, then from there, I went to the Salvation Army and then I came over to, uh, run Bridge Counseling, which is, um, behavioral health. Are you still associated with Salvation Army? Um, only peripherally, they, they changed their leadership periodically oh. and the leaders are not to be in contact with their former spot. So oh, it's that's crazy. 
I, I've, I've always leaned on them as a resource and I've always been admired that they're pretty consistent in their quality. But um, I, I just am curious whether you still had a relationship with them. So let's let's go into the homeless topic. Um, did, let, do, let's – two questions. Do you think there's a difference between the community or the group you're serving in Nevada and what we have here in Southern California? Or no. California generally. Right. Same. Right. OK. Same group. Uh, same issues. Um, they just need a job and a place to live, right? That's it? Well, you know, that is not it. You know, a good 70% of them have mental health and or substance abuse issues. 70% or, or, or 90%? About, well, at least I say 70%. And it could, you know, locally, I don't know because I don't think it, they track it's, let's, be, well. let's Let's not mince words. It's 90%. It, it depends how it you define 90%. homelessness. If you, if you start counting people that are couch surfing at their friend's place or, you know, yes. jamming into apartments with four of their peers and stuff to, you know, share rent. You're calling those homeless? Well, then it's 70%. But if we're talking about chronically homeless, which is the group we are all concerned about, everybody else that loses their job or has economic distress never spends more than three months on the street, and there's tons of resources for them. They can use them. They get off the street. They get going. It's fine. That's not the group that this entire state and yours as well is preoccupied with. We're talking about the chronically homeless, the mentally ill, and drug addicted. Or the federal government, they're they're not interested either. They use homeless uh, housing first as their their goal or their plan, and that is basically to put somebody in a in a house, put them on social security disability, and forget about them. You know, allegedly they have case managers, but they're not required to have any treatment at all. So many of them continue to use or abuse uh, drugs or alcohol. And then the, the the other part that they don't tell you is how many people like that they evict. So it starts all over. They leave one program and go to another program. Yeah. I, these are all medically ill people with at least one diagnosis, if not three or four, and they're left untreated. And there are no clinical people in the government to oversee the allocation of resources to understand how this should be managed. Why are we surprised? Why are we surprised that it's such a damn mess? Well, it's so sad because Nevada could really do something different if they wanted to. It's a small state, so it's not as much politics. And there are some qualified people in the state that could actually do something. But, you know, we have the, in, on our state, we call it a legal 2000 or a 72 hour hold, uh, which those are even a joke nowadays because if we can have two clinicians sign off on a, on a legal 2000 and send them with the paramedics and police officers. And within two hours, they're out Correct, uh, because they know what to, they know what to say by the time they get to the hospital. Correct. And so that's, that's not helpful at all. And certainly that's not helpful long-term. Yeah. And so when you started working with homeless, were you surprised by what it was or did you already know? I already pretty much knew. Yeah. It was not a surprise. Right. Uh, and so, you know, so your first thing you brought up here is the ability to help people who are ill, and you've mentioned the seventy-two hour hold, which is is a, an instrument, but we, it's been eviscerated. So in this state, it's the Lantermet Petrus Short Act and the definition of gravely disabled. Do you think those two things should be modified? Well, you know, I would like to see. I guess, let's put it this way. When I have conversations with my clinicians, because I am not a clinician, as you said, um, I, I hear all we can do is is the legal 2000 or the 72-hour hold because it's an, a matter of immediacy. So if, if somebody's going to be harmful to themselves or somebody else, it has to be immediate. But yet, 
here was the strangest thing, Dr. Drew. When I took over this job, first thing I realized that we had a homeless person um, camping outside the door that I would enter. And he was defecating there and nobody was doing anything. And I realized this, this man is not able to have a, a conversation with anybody. Correct. Uh, seven years later, he's still there. Not, not on our side. I've, I've moved him down the, the way a little bit, but the police know who he is. The city council knows who he is. And this is a man. Mr. Robeck, who are himself. you to say he's not living his best life? How dare you think he should live a different life than what he's living? It's his, it's his choice, man. I know it. I know it. But when you, it's you get, you, you, degrees outside. you get to see the people get better. And you know how much better they can get and how angry they are when they look back. So you left me on the street for seven years. Why? Why did you I leave me it. like that? It's an, I was sick. Why didn't you let me get treatment? Or I, My illness prevented me from getting treatment. Why didn't you do something? Isn't that terrible? Yes. And it's very sad. So one rainy night or one rainy afternoon, late afternoon, we brought him in. He was soaking wet. We said, okay, sit in here. Just you can be in here until we close. So he did that and he immediately pooped and he rubbed it all over five, five seats. And he was not able to have a conversation with anybody. And we finally had to ask him to leave. And that's where he is and was. And there was nothing we could do about it. We couldn't call the police. There, there was nothing that they were going to do about it or could do about it. And, and what are we going to do? Put him in, uh, uh, um, incarcerate him. Right. So I'm sure he's, he's got a, a long list of, you know, incarceration, but there's nothing we can do, but there because, should be but it's something. Be, right. Because of the laws that prevent right. you from actually doing something. If, if you had, listen, this immediacy thing, that is today. It is the original. Even as weak as the Lantern and Petra Short Act is, it always included gravely disabled, and we have taken gravely disabled out. Gravely disabled needs to be put back in and expanded. That guy is gravely disabled, and he can be rendered well, or at least improved dramatically. Right. But you can't because the idea of gravely disabled has gone. That's horrible. Horrible. I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. It's it's so sad because there are so many people that we have spent two or three years with, you know, going through their relapses, going through their difficult times. And I, and I ask my clinicians, well, is this person ready to live on their own or have a job or do anything like that? Well, only if they stay on their meds and they're not interested in staying on their meds because, or they've lost them or they're, you know, periodically homeless and losing them or having them stolen. And so they're not, they're not moving forward. It's just, I think our society worries so much about feeling good and making sure everybody has personal liberties, liberties that actually help them from being truly free. Well, what I always point out, what I always point out is, so there is the symptom complex, which is they're responding to internal stimuli, they're disorganized, they're maybe you know wandering. Okay, if that symptom complex is created by dementia and you, sir, don't rush in, you'll be guilty of elder abuse. But if that same syndrome is caused by schizophrenia, oh, no, no, he's living his best. You can't touch him. You can't touch him. It's insanity. It's a certain kind of insanity. And the real serious problem is that the politicians have sold the idea that it's just job and money and uh, there's so much money available, but you can't do anything for these people because you're not allowed legally to do anything. Right. And the money still keeps coming. We have so much money in Clark County, Nevada, where Las Vegas is right now to do 
to help people, but it's going primarily for the housing uh, first strategy, which is, you know, it's a, it's a broken idea. Uh, it's something that started in Washington and it's something that the, the concept on paper, it sounds really good, except that's not where the people are. It's not uh, a mother that's lost her job and her two or three jobs that she was working. No, that's at. not the, that's not that's what this not, is. But that's the story that you always hear. I, I, I know it's just not it at all, at all. And they need to shut the hell up because they are th- that story is obfuscating what is essentially mass murder. They're allowing people to die in the streets five a day here in Los Angeles County. Really? But yeah, five a day die, and it, it goes up every year by one. When I started complaining about it, it was three a day. Now it's five a day. Uh, more deaths from overdoses in San Francisco than COVID by a significant margin, and zero ability or change, willing to change their, their position. All right. So Lantern and Petra Shore, gravely disabled. There we go. Um, let's talk about other things that might help you. Well, you don't have the same problem we have here where it's legal to do drugs, traffic drugs, and steal to support your habit. Do you have anything like that there? Well, you know, marijuana, marijuana is legal in the state of Nevada. And uh, the same fellow who was a state senator, now a county commissioner, that put that through is trying to open up uh, legal, I call them opium dens, because they're really nothing more than that, um, a place for them to legally and safely do their vaccinations or their shots of heroin. It's like, that's a problem just waiting to happen. And, and, and by the way, uh, take a look at Portugal. It was a massive failure. Stop pointing right. it as a success. It was a massive failure. Stop talking. And Vancouver, when they did it, they, those were treatment centers. That was a way to get people into a treatment center. And if they want to give them heroin as part of treatment as they wean them down and motivate them and all that stuff, I, I have no problem with that. I, but but to just have them doing heroin in a safe environment, well, they're already dead as soon as they walk in the door. It, it's, and that's not living. That's dead. Well, the other thing, too, is methadone clinics have just become a permanent way of, of keeping people managed. But it really doesn't because what we find is the best place to get a, a – connect for drugs other kinds of drugs is a methadone clinic parking lot yeah yeah and so you'll you'll you know methadone or heroin is not the biggest um drug that we treat in at bridge and we're the largest agency in the state and so ours is marijuana ironically we've just you know legalized it you're not allowed to say uh, alcohol that. how dare you is, yeah i know it how dare i <laughs> and then methamphetamine so right know, meth, so, alcohol and, and pot. yeah and so meth is really I mean, all fentanyl and heroin are a massive, massive problem. But what is really fueling the homeless epidemic is meth. Uh, and I interviewed a guy named Sam Quinonius, very smart journalist, and he's done a lot of investigative reporting about how meth is produced. And he is able to show that as they increase the manufacturing of meth in Mexico and then increase the distribution, there's a direct correlation with the increase in homelessness. It's like a one-to-one correlation. And he shows how you, when the meth hits, homelessness goes up. And it's a drug that drives people to the street for some reason. That's just what happens when they're in that psychotic state or that agitated state. When you see people out in the street flailing around or throwing things or becoming aggressive, that's meth. That's always meth. Uh, it's not – and can be schizophrenia or bipolar, but even then it's usually also meth. <laughs> so, 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 so what do we do with that population? Well, that's a good question. I was, I was delighted to see you. And this is, this is what even got me inspired to reach out to you. Um, it, I saw you on Laura Ingram's show and you were talking about the problem in Southern California and, and how passionate you were about that. And I go, 
boy, he sounds like me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you can't not if you, if you know what's going on. You can't you you can't sleep at night. You can't believe right. what, what's being allowed to happen. But go, go ahead, Meth. Any ideas? But how? But but go how? Ahead. But see, the problem is how dare you to bring that up? You, I can't have that conversation just as you can't have that conversation. Oh, really, in a, in, look, a, in I, a group of I, people that have the influence, I can't not bring it up. That's my problem. Because and, and by the way, I have thirty years of experience treating this population. So, so the rest of you, the rest of me, to shut the f up. As far as I'm concerned, they have zero experience. <laughs> so stop it. Right. But anyway, right. whatever. Um, and my my question always is how many years have you how many years of training you had how many years have you done this to, oh, zero okay I, I have no time for you I have no time in the meantime you're killing people so step aside let's talk to somebody who knows what they're talking about right yeah, so that they, we should not be we should not be mincing word with these people they don't know what they're doing and they're killing people it's like we're running a hospital where people are dying at five a day in the wing of the hospital no doctors allowed here sorry we can't have doctors right. in here we can't have any clinicians in here we can't allow it the people that are running the hospital that is so come on. All right, so so meth is uh, the thing. We'll get back to meth. So so here we have Prop 47, Prop 57, AB 109. We have Landry and Petra Shore. We have no gravely disabled. These things in California all need to be changed or we're not going to be able to do anything with this. That's the bottom line. Are you are you able to get any traction with those sorts of ideas in Nevada? Not no. yet. Right. But, but my goal is – Don't you have a mayor so- in Las Vegas that's sort of open to this? Or didn't you? Didn't you have a mayor or don't you have a mayor in Las Vegas that was sort of open to listening? She sort of seemed to kind of understand what was going on. She does. In fact, she got a, a lot of flack, a lot of pushback when the city, the city is just a small part of Clark County. And while it's called the city of Las Vegas, really the broader area is Clark County. So it's all city of Las Vegas. And Mayor Goodman is who you're referring to. And she um, was pretty much destroyed on uh, Anderson Cooper's show, uh, mocking her about the COVID response. But she also has got uh, torn apart locally because of her views on homelessness. And homelessness really are are people, just as you described that 90%, if you will, of people that are just living on the street. It is easy to live as a homeless person in Nevada. First of all, there are three major agencies in a very small area just outside of uh, downtown Las Vegas, and that's Catholic Charity Salvation Army and, and the Las Vegas Rescue Mission. Each one provides a meal at different times. So you can get your breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Each one has housing space uh, if you're able to live in those. And of course, you need to become at least sober. Uh, That's to, good. To the housing That's facility. good. At least, so, they were, at least they asked for something to yes. help people get better. Yes, but, but they're all they're, they're being pushed not to be able to ask for that anymore. I believe that's even changed brilliant, in the county. Brilliant. Now, so for, that's, that helps you. Way to go. You're helping them. Wait, well mean, done, no. you people. You know exactly what you're doing with this population. Very well done. And so, oh, uh, and that's, you know, I, I get calls from people all over the country and I try to help people out all over the place. And I'm starting to hear the same thing over and over again. It's like, I'm, I'm going to Nevada, I'm going to California because I hear there's, it's, there's lots of drugs and lots of services. Right. So they come, they come, they want to, exactly my patients, right. here's what my patients want to do. They want to do drugs. That's what they want to do. And if you allow that to be easier and more accessible and more economical, they are coming and that's it. Boom. End of story. It's just pure homo economicus. That's how drug addicts behave. Um, and it's not their fault. It's they have a condition. They have a disorder. It's not that they're evil. They're, they're, their motivational system is broken by the drugs. And so they come and that's what they do then if you leave them with the opportunity to do so. So land from Petra Shore, gravely disabled, Prop 47, Prop 57, AB 109. 
I, I, I've also been pushing for a directive to physicians. In other words, why aren't psychiatrists mandated, much as I am as an internist, to have a directive set up once someone has a diagnosis of a major mental illness, a directive that gives the doctor the privilege to treat at the direction of the patient when their brain doesn't work right. In other words, I have a mandate that I every older patient or somebody with serious illness, I have to talk to them about what happens when their brain doesn't work and they're not breathing, what do you want me to do? And I will follow your directions now when you're in one piece and you want to think about it, let's discuss it together. But when the brain isn't working, I will represent you. The same thing should happen with psychiatric illness. Is anybody attempting that kind of legislation in Nevada? Oh, no. Now, now, those kinds of legislations aren't even being talked about at this point. Everything has to do with homelessness. So, so do you agree? Housing. Do you agree that that should be a thing? That if that some because so many of the homeless that have primary mental illness, if you had a directive to physician, you could go get them and treat them because the the patient would have given you that mandate. But no one's no one's talking about that, huh? Nobody's talked about it. I think that's a great idea because you realize that these people are not in their own minds, if you will, and I'm, and I'm obviously not a clinician, so I'm not using the right words, I'm sure, uh, but they're not in their own minds and you can't have a conversation with them and have a, no. well, if we get you back on your medication, you're going to be fine. Remember how that was? Well, no, now we've, no. we're beyond that. We yeah. need a professional they, they to have, do that. They have a condition called anisognosia, and anisognosia is a neurobiological state that blocks insight into what's happening, what their condition is, or what's happening as a result of their condition. It's something that happens from strokes. It happens in schizophrenia. It happens in bipolar when they're manic. It happens in drug addicts. Look it up. Anisognosia, first term coined by Dr. Babinski at the turn of the 20th century. And it is clearly – by the way, if you want to read a great book, there's a book called American Psychosis that – have you read that, Dave? I have not. Yeah. It it chronicles how we got into this state. If you understand how we got here – that book tells you how we got here. And and neither of us, by the way, are suggesting – both of us are – I'm, I'm going to speak on your behalf. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I, I, I didn't sleep that well last night, so I'm having a word for – like neither vehement, I, so enthusiastic, enthusiastically against criminalizing. We don't want to criminalize anything or anybody. Correct. That is not Correct. what we're interested in. We're Correct. interested in – motivating people into care so they can actually get well, which they do when you have the right leverage. What's up, Gary? Vehemently? Vehemently? Did I say vehemently? I don't know. I'm trying to figure out the I word. Said I said vehement. I, I, it was sort of like, um, I don't know, something over the top kind of word. Wholeheartedly. Whole, yeah, we just com- categorically is sort of the word I'm looking there for. We are categorically against criminalizing. It's not what we're into. Law enforcement may be useful in getting people into treatment, but we need laws that prevent criminalization and push into proper care. And you know, things like assisted outpatient treatment, AOT. Do you guys do AOT? Yes, we do a little. We do some. It's interesting. Um, the the state has decided, even with the SAPTA money, this substance abuse prevention treatment agency money, those are uh, block grant funds that come from the federal federal government and it was primarily for substance abuse now it's including mental health as well and they had they've taken it away from agencies like mine and have moved it to the courts and so the courts are using it to put people into a place to stay 
and they're in there for about eight weeks and they graduate them. It's like graduating them from what exactly, <laughs> exactly. Are they graduating them from, you know, that's not enough time to have any kind of meaningful treatment for with behavioral health therapists and in the places they're putting them isn't necessarily more than one or two therapists there. And, and they're certainly not uh, doing co-occurring treatments. So, uh, I mean, the frustration is that's basically just another homeless program. Even when we're working with our Metro police department, we have several departments that we work with. Um, they're looking for for them, I understand that they're just trying to get people off the street and off of their records and, and moved on. But they, they're just as happy with the homeless program as they are with something providing mental health. And so that's what we did different. What I did different, I changed the strategy here. And, and I said, we're not going to be focusing on uh, substance abuse. We're going to be focusing on mental health and taking the substance abuse as it comes. Uh, and then we're going to hire real staff. So they're motivated to be here. So we have over 50 clinicians and they're all employees. None of them are contractors. So we have a good army of people. It's very small for the state of Nevada, what the need is. Uh, but it's, I think that is going in the right direction. If we can get um, the government entities to stop competing with us or getting, you know, getting in our way, it's not about, you know, housing, it's about engagement and treatment and such. It's, you know, they need to, to, to start listening and stop talking so much. The, the government. Yes. Yeah. And, and you mentioned employees versus uh, contracted workers. Why, why is that important? Well, it's really important because um, contractors will only work the hours that they want to. So they may work at several different agencies and, and do just a small amount of work. So we provide in the employees actual benefits. So they have a 40-hour work week, and they're required to do 20, 26 direct uh, patient hours in that work week. And so that could be groups or assessments or, or their regular one-on-one sessions, but it gives them a place to be. They're not so stressful about what they are doing. Uh, they're not worried about trying to find a job. Um, yes, it's a nonprofit, so probably pays a little bit less, uh, but we, we stack up the incentives for them to be here, like uh, uh, getting their t- uh, student loans paid off nice. through HRSA and things oh, nice. like that. So we do some really good things to, to keep the staff working. That's nice. Um are you having any issues with funding? There are many, many pharmaceuticals that are terribly helpful for the population you're serving. Are you having any difficulty funding that? Is that part of the issue? Is I've always wondered, you know, like, like to me, long-acting antipsychotics used to be much, should be much more deployed than they are, and I've always assumed that was an economic issue. Uh, same thing with Suboxone. I'm wondering why methadone even exists anymore when you have Suboxone. Um, talk to me about that a little bit. Well, that's interesting that you asked that. Um, here I am a non-clinician, but I'm, I'm the CEO at this agency, and we're you know we have a national designation of certified community behavioral health clinic, something that we competed for and worked for. And so I was invited uh, to the national council, which works with SAMHSA, uh, to to serve on just a, a private little um, needs assessment group to determine whether we would be supportive of a psychiatric uh, medication that was a long lasting 30 day uh, treatment. And I was one of those people and I'm going, it's really strange. You've asked me to do it, but I'm going to do it. And I'm just going to give you my opinion. And uh, I was surprised because everybody in there, almost everybody had clinical licenses of one kind or another. And most everybody was afraid to do that. They thought that person should make that decision on a daily basis. Oh my God. That's a horrible idea. Right. What is wrong said, with you, them? 
you clearly haven't raised kids before or raised, you know, <laughs> or, or dealt with this teenagers. population. It's the oh worst gosh. thing they could possibly do. Is, exactly. is it economically a problem? Is are they expensive? I, I, from what I understand, there is a higher cost to them. Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure if the insurance companies have really bought into it um, yet, but, but, you know, I certainly gave back the opinion. I said, you know, to, uh, uh, decisions or choices. Choices are overrated, in my opinion. It's but like when, when your I brain doing- isn't working, it's not working. No. Your brain I, isn't working. How come they can't get that that through their head? It's that personal you, liberty thing. Everybody comes up against it. Oh, they need to be able to make that choice every day. And oh, go, my God. That, that made no sense to they, me. They, I, they, I, they I, have to be people that haven't dealt with the population. They have to be. I they claim to have been. They're the same people that, that were licensed for the CCBHCs as I was. Were, so there, were there physicians? I, Psychiatrists? There were a couple of physicians in the in the. And, and the what room. did the physicians say? I, I would say, well, the one laughed immediately when I said choices are overrated, and he actually liked that. He yeah, was, of course. He, he, he was, he was um, supportive of that. And there, of course, there was a, the, the vendor that was trying to, to, to get this medication used more uh, certainly would have, would have been supportive of that. But I used the comparison. I said, when I adopted my kids, I had two little kids, two at a time. So I bring them in the grocery store and that's a dangerous thing to do. And bringing them down a cereal aisle is a very dangerous thing to do with right. little children. Right. And so I, what I would do is I would say, I would pick up two boxes of cereal, both that would be approved by me. <laughs> and I would say, okay, which one right. would you like? That right. is their choice. That's right. And so they, you know, then you'd move on to the next thing. So that's, that's exactly it got a little right. more difficult as teenagers, but <laughs> um, that's a different issue. Yeah. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness and preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. Begin communicating in under 48 hours. Not a crisis line, not self-help, professionally managed treatment. Services available for client worldwide. You can log in to your account anytime, send a message to your therapist. You get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change therapists if necessary. It's more affordable than traditional offline therapy, and financial aid is available. Visit their website and read the testimonials that are posted daily. That's right, betterhelp.com slash reviews. And visit betterhelp.com slash drew. That is betterhelp.com slash drew, H-E-L-P, BetterHelp, and join the over 2 million people who've taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. And we have a special offer for the Dr. Drew Podcast listeners. Get 10% off your first month at that website, betterhelp.com slash Drew. Of course, you may not be surprised to know that uh, yeah, that uh, insurance doesn't always cover full cost of emergency medical flight. Even with comprehensive coverage, you can still get high deductibles and co-pays. Protect your family and your finances with an Air Medicare Network membership. If an emergency arises, as a member, the expense of air medical transport is completely covered when flown by an AMCN provider. Membership costs as little as $85 a year and covers your entire household every day, even when you're away from home. That is just pennies a day. We all know the unexpected can happen, and an AMCN membership is protection no family should be without. For a limited time, as a Dr. Drew podcast listener, you'll get up to $50 e-gift card when you join. Simply visit airmedcarenetwork.com forward slash Drew and use offer code Drew. Well, Public Rec, you all know I love those guys. Uh, check out Public Rec. They make leisure wear in waist and inseam sizes that are specific to you. 
And of course, their best-selling all-day, everyday pants are a stylish alternative to sweatpants. They feel like sweatpants, but they don't look like it. Great part of uh, really lounging and then being able to get up and go out, right? You know, wearing the same pants. Uh, and as I said, they come in waist and inseam sizing. So they'll fit you exactly no matter what your dimensions. They are made from breathable, stretchy, moisture-wicking fabric. You can wear them 24-7. Come in different colors for each day of the week if you want. Plus, they've got other choices such as comfortable choices, T-shirts, Henleys, polos, hoodies, jackets, even golf gear. Public rec, they, it's a game-changing fabric. If you want game-changing clothing in your daily attire, your loungewear, this is it. They're always top choice in my rotation. I wear them almost every day, literally. As the world is reopening, of course, make sure you've got the clothes that are as flexible as your life is. Public Rec rarely discounts, but right now they have an exclusive offer just for the Dr. Drew Podcast listeners. Go to Public Rec, that is P-U-B-L-I-C-R-E-C dot com slash Drew to receive 10% off. That is Public Rec, R-E-C, publicrec.com slash Drew. Well, Headspace is your daily dose of meditation and mindfulness in the form of guided meditations with the easy-to-use app. Headspace is the one and only meditation app advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. Whatever your situation, Headspace can help you feel better, help falling asleep. Headspace has slow-down, wind-down sessions. Members swear by that one. I love that one. And and there's so many things to choose from. It's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Headspace makes it easier for you to build a life-changing meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you on your schedule, anytime, anywhere. You deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash drew. That is headspace.com slash Drew for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditation for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash Drew today. All right, so... But I'd like to see more of that, too. In fact, I was talking to my assistant about it this morning. I said, if we could just get these people on a 30-day vaccine or shot injection for 30 days and manage that, then they're going to be a lot more stable. They can come to treatment more consistently. Exactly. They can work, engage more. We have targeted case managers that work here as well. So they're they're helping with transportation and housing and, and uh, work, uh, things like that. So there are other things that they can be doing instead of trying to beat that decision every day well and as we've said there they typically have two disorders they have their major mental illness and then they have addiction also and that has to be managed and if it's not if recovery is not possible because of their brain state what do they expect so it's all right so gravely disabled open up lantern petrix change the laws that are making it uh strictly legal to do stuff and do something with that uh, long-acting antipsychotics, Suboxone, is, we haven't talked about that yet. Is that something you guys are able to prescribe for the opioid addicts? We don't prescribe it here. We can prescribe it if, if we want to. Typically, there you, are you other people up, are, You can get people off methadone with that pretty good well, too. It's about the only way off methadone, too. Oh, is that right? Yeah, so you might, you might kind of look at that population. But the, the problem with Suboxone is they don't – when people are monitoring it, they don't typically tr- test for other drugs, which you must right. do or there's no point in doing the Suboxone. Um, so yes, broader testing, people who understand what addiction is, working with addicts, not people who think they understand what addiction is, working with addicts, people who understand it and have seen it and, and or have lived it themselves. Well, that's actually a requirement for – got to have some of those folks around. Um, 
Am I leaving anything out in things we need to be doing to, to help serve the population? I, I, I feel like I am. Uh, uh, well, go ahead. Uh, do, do we, I don't know. That if, if we were successful at just what we discussed, yeah. we wouldn't have to think about other problems. Well, I, I guess the, the problem is, the, 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 is temporality is the bigger problem, which is we're talking about the brain. The brain changes and heals very slowly. And it does so in a intersubjective context, in relationships. And I know that's what you guys are, you know, maintaining. You're trying to develop relationships with people that are stable and safe and containing and all that good stuff. And that takes time, the time for the mental illness to settle down, the time for the recovery to take hold, time for vocational rehab and education. So we're talking about twelve months. I'd say sort of minimum. Do people is am I wrong, and do people understand that? I, I don't think people understand that, and that's twelve months if they're cooperative, right. if they're paying attention, and actually coming to their sessions and, and doing the things that we're asking or inviting them to do. Because um, you know, there's the, there's the relapse issue. There's the I don't want to do it anymore. I'm tired of this. This is yeah. boring, or yeah. I, I don't want to be on pills the rest of my life. Right, so. right, right. Or I want to be. I want to go use. I want to go out and be be in the right. nightlife again. Is um. Do you ever get the feeling that the government just wants these people just to go away and die? I just get that yes. feeling sometimes that they just want well, them. They just want. They're them never going to gonna say die, but just yes, out of sight, out of mind. That's they, that's they really don't want for. them to get better. They and they don't understand that they can. That, that's, well, so that's many why. people will lose their jobs if they actually got better. I mean, if you think about, it, I wrote in the book a little bit about the industry of homelessness, and it's like there is so much to that. So you have social workers that are caseworkers that all their job is to do is to try to help people stay in that housing situation, that HUD-funded housing, uh, because they got them in that. Now they have to prove that it works. Well, it doesn't necessarily work because people do not have to be clean and sober. They do not have to go to treatment. They do not have to do anything except pay their rent. Yeah, but this this is the piece that everybody misses, which is that addiction is a progressive illness. It's not a static illness. It is a progressive illness. And if you put people in an environment where they will continue to use, they will continue to progress. It's in the nature of the diagnosis and the illness, progressive disorder that ends in death, period. And if you tread water – you're going towards death or demise, right. some sort of demise. Um, and they just refuse to acknowledge that. Right. Right. And that's why I, I worry about this. Uh, if you're a danger to yourself, isn't that Dr. Drew being a danger to yourself? You may not realize <laughs> that it's to yourself, yeah. but, but, but because they, they don't have that imminent word in there or, yeah. you know, that immediate thing that they're going to take their life, yeah. you know, they're still killing themselves Maybe yeah. it's a little more slow. That's gravely that's disabled. Happening. That's great. That's gravely disabled, and that's right. the piece that's been taken out that must be put back in. And by the way, every other country on earth has that. What is wrong with us that we don't take care of our sick people? It's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah, it's, it's that personal liberty, which ironically we're all seeming to give up during COVID. Right. No, like, problem. So, <laughs> no problem. No problem with problem that for all. COVID, but for mental illness, right. oh no, can't touch that. Can't touch it. It's it, it, there is a disgusting group of people that that have taken hold that are truly disgusting and it's murdering. It's murdering people. They right. need to be called out for what they are. They are murderers and I, I don't know what else to call them. They, they may not understand what they're doing and I forgive them for that. But in the meantime, they are murdering people in the name of what? And because they have no experience dealing with this population, they have no idea what they're looking at at all. 
They've never yeah. seen recovery. You got you got to bring people in off the street, you know, who've been there and recovered, to tell them that they'll kind of listen to them. Right, and hopefully they're successful, and hopefully they're telling the truth at the time. <laughs> well, yeah, they're really recovering people. I, I I got a bunch of those. I got a little army of those that I'm building, yeah, <laughs> and because yeah. because treatment sure because treatment does work, but you ha- but it takes a long, 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 long time. And, and you're right. You know, part of the nature of the illness of addiction is obfuscating, bullshitting, lying, manipulating. Blah, 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 blah. That's right. in the illness. That's a symptom right. of the illness. That's not a character problem that's from the illness. They didn't start that way. The illness made them that way. And you, only recovery gets them out of it. And it takes a long time for a life of rigorous an- honesty to be reestablished. And by the way, if it I'm isn't, they relapse. Were you surprised? Go ahead. I'm, I'm always surprised to see people in our state who have clinical licenses and they fall for that all the time. All the time. Like, My peers do. Physicians last- do too. Yeah. When was the last time you ever dealt with one of these people on a regular basis? Clearly, they have not, or they would know that. I'm, you know, I, I don't. I'm not a clinician, so I don't have to deal with them on a daily basis. I do know some of the clients that we have here, but you know, I served and oversaw some homeless programs uh, a great deal, and then I do get involved in cases where they get a little more complex and it, it, and it ends up affecting the agency. And so I see that going on. It's the same thing. It doesn't change, and no. and yet. Our state officials, our county officials, all are blind to it for some reason. Yeah, I, I the, my, physicians get that way too, and uh, they they either over idealize their patients. My patients are honest with me. We have a closed care. It's like, no, no, you're being manipulated. Number one, <laughs> and you don't understand drug addiction. You've not dealt with it really. You really you think you're dealing with it because you're prescribing the Suboxone, and they kind of get a little better for a little while. No, you're not. You're not dealing with the disease itself. You're dealing with the symptom complex. And okay, you know, you're helping, but. You don't understand addiction. And we're interested in full recovery, people having a flourishing life again. And that's really dealing with the entire uh, syndrome of uh, drug addiction. And it's, it includes all sorts of crazy stuff. <laughs> and, you, and our job is to not take the patient at their word. Our job as a clinician is to figure out the truth and to, and to expect lying, manipulating, obfuscating symptomatology of the illness and try to figure out where reality is, not just to take it on its face value. Right. Well, I think to, for us to to improve here is it's really through legislation. I agree. Because we're well, that's not it. doing it's it. only hope. It's only hope. It, it, it is our only hope because homelessness. It's interesting to me. Homelessness is yes. You need shelter. Yes, you need shelter. Yeah. You need food. Oh, yeah. You need shelter. Sure. You need a safe place. To the extent okay? that you'll take it. Yes. But even those that take it. So a shelter is not a bad place. It can no. be horrible. They yeah. can be nasty and smelly. Mm-hmm. And, and you have to, to sleep with people that are, are you know, in different states of, of whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not a bad place. You do not have to be in a nice furnished apartment uh, to be able to get better. Right. And, right. and yet that's what the goal of our society seems to have gone to. And not only that, it's it's like, okay, then we need to continue to provide them the food and we need to give them some outlets. We need to be able to make sure that they have enough money to go to the movies periodically. Wish I had that when I was growing up. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and a variety of other things to be socialized, but these yeah. they're not understanding. These people are not socialized to begin with. No. And they're not... That's the thing. They're ill. They're ill. They're ill. These are patients. Yes. These are patients who are ill. These are patients who are ill that you are not treating. Period. End. Correct. 
So uh, let's spend the last few minutes talking about the book. Do we have any? Do you and I have any disagreement on anything? First of all, do we disagree nothing, about anything? Nothing okay. whatsoever. All right. It's all right. like, yeah. Two people that have deal with this population for long periods of time magically agree. Magically talk about the book. What do we get from the book? Oh, it's well. I found it interesting. I, so I had, I was at Salvation Army, and Salvation Army locally in Las Vegas had the only mental health treatment of all the Salvation Armies in the United States. They had, uh, and and they call it mental health treatment, but we basically had a hundred beds for the mentally ill, and some of those got more. Uh, hands-on treatment than others, but it was really more psychosocial rehabilitation, basic skills. Uh, skills uh, which is important, by the way, too. That's it, sort of left it, out. That's left away. Yes. Many treatment programs don't provide that, and they need it. Well, I mean, I think there's a lot of new mothers, new families that wouldn't have, have any idea how to even go shopping in a regular store. So they're shopping at a 7-Eleven or a mm-hmm. McDonald's, and that's what they're feeding their children every morning. Mm-hmm. People don't um, – so that's, that's not Dave being – disparaging that's the way it is that's a truth right. that's just the fact go ahead keep right. going and and they're not learning that from their home i yeah. learned to sew and cook and everything as a little kid yeah. uh and and my sons have all learned how to do that too they're the only kids that they that their friends knew they could sew a button back on so they were impressed by that yeah. um but so, so um the funding at salvation army is always you know up and down and up and down at that time they weren't taking Medicaid. And so it was really a program that really had no funding. And so that was overnight taken away. I, I have, I have some good and bad experiences with Salvation Army that they, you know, they will periodically just dump a program. And so that's what they did. They ended up dumping a hundred homeless people back out on the street within a week. Um, and, and what happened with that, I ended up losing my job, which was just fine. I was happy to move on. Um, but I found myself going down to court to advocate for some of these people because they were being picked up and they didn't know the history. They didn't know the rest of the information and all that information had been lost. And so as I started advocating for them, I started writing down that story because I would talk to my former clinical director who was also terminated at the time. Uh, and I said, nobody's going to believe these stories. Nobody's going to believe these stories. So I started just writing stories about these different people we had interacted with. And, and I realized I could, add a lot more stories, stories from my upbringing uh, as a kid, um, stories from my work in, um, in Russia as, as a Peace Corps volunteer. And so I just, just wrote the stories out because I enjoy writing. And then I realized how many stories I had, well, over 40 stories. And I thought, wow, this is actually kind of telling its own story, just the descriptions of these things. So mm-hmm. changed the name protected to protect the innocent. And I, I spread them out, added a lot more information, things that most people don't even realize uh, goes on in nonprofit work when they're helping the homeless. Uh, you know, the fact that when you're doing a food drive and you get the food, so much of the food is just wasted. It is wasted food. Any food that's been, that's expired yep. is going to be thrown away, even yep. though that's, that's expiration is a marketing thing more than it is yep. a quality. That's right. That's right. Uh, and so I, I decided to add all those things. And being a preacher's kid, I would added a few a few scriptures, all from the Old Testament, primarily from Proverbs, just to to give a, a highlight of what it was like. Uh, how this is not a new thing. This is nothing that's new. Um, if you, you know, if you're a believer, if you're, if you were raised in a Judeo-Christian uh, values, or even if you, I, I said, even if you just believed in sayings of Confucius, you would hear these similar kinds of comments, and, and you would see that this is not an old thing, and this is. Uh, no, and then bra- I also bra- human brains things. have always gotten sick. Human brains right. have illness. They've always gotten sick. 
and through society, through through yes, and in, in back in the days of uh, the proverbs, we would deal with it with sort of religious constraints and church communities and things like that. Then we started having governments that would step in. In the case of this government, we our constitution does not provide for the federal government to be involved in any way. So the states had to pick it up. They had a very involved system that sometimes was good and sometimes wasn't so good. And because uh, Ken Kesey wrote a book and then a movie based on that book that people thought was a documentary, one right. flew over the cuckoo's nest about yep. state hospitals, they were completely dismantled by three three sequential psychiatrists uh, who ran the who established and ran the NIMH. Not one of whom had ever treated chronic mental illness, and two of the three believed that institutions cause chronic mental illness that it didn't actually exist. So here you go, and all those patients, millions, were spilled out into the prisons, the nursing homes, and the streets. And there they have remained. And we've thankfully taken them out of the prisons. Now they're just in the streets. Now we need to deal with that. Right? Right, exactly. And that's one of the things I did with the, the book, was just try to expose things that, that people didn't really realize, that there's there's business behind a lot of this, Ugh, this it's work. Disgusting. It's disgusting. So many jobs. Yes, but it's, it's but, but it's truth. It's like we hire people, you know, you, you graduate people with a master's degree and they come and they work and they're dealing with 10 to 15 people and that's their entire job. They're getting paid exorbitant amounts of money and they're not really helping anybody. They're right. just kind of managing Treading water, manage people's oh, lives. Treading water, uh, maybe they don't know that they can get better and be independent and live on the, whatever. The book is will work for dot, 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 the untold, untold stories of homelessness available everywhere. Uh, the website is bridgecounseling.org. Am I getting that correct? That is correct. Yeah. Uh, and uh, if you're in Nevada, please help them out. Uh, really quick, substance abuse prevention and treatment agency. Is that anything that people can uh, look into, or is that strictly uh, something you're just a part of? And helps? that's that's a yeah, that's yeah. a state uh, government okay. entity. Well, I'm glad you're in it because uh, you're the only. You're not a clinician, interestingly. Of course, they don't allow clinicians on any of these panels, but whatever. <laughs> but at least you can represent. Um, but uh, yeah, if I hope, uh, I, I think. The world that we serve probably kind of understands this material because they've heard me talking about it forever. But uh, it, please share this podcast with others who have may have other points of view uh, to get them to <laughs> maybe go spend a few decades working in a psychiatric hospital or in a treatment center like David's uh, so you can gain an understanding before you have an opinion about a complicated series of medical illnesses that you know nothing about. You shouldn't have an opinion about it. You really shouldn't. Any more than you should about how to do an appendix repair or how to take out a gallbladder. Do you have opinions about that too? This is actually more complicated, frankly. Gallbladder repair takes about an hour and a half. This takes years to treat. Gary likes that point. <laughs> it's, it's a good one. It's I, I don't think people think about it in that frame. And it's how it is. That's what it is. This is you have to have immense skills to do with this problem. I, I can you can you can teach a robot to take the gallbladder out. You need humans to treat this condition, and it takes extraordinary skill and incredibly long periods of time, and multiple disciplines. By the way, not just one. You, you just need a surgeon and a surgical nurse to do the gallbladder. This requires many different dif- disciplines to get somebody where they need to go. Well, David, did it disappoint? Was this fun? Is this what you expected it, was it to be? It was exactly <laughs> what I expected. I'm comfortable doing interviews. I'm delighted to meet you, Dr. Drew. It's, you as well. It's great. And I was delighted to meet you uh, when I saw you on, on, on uh, Ingram's show. Well, if there's, if there's she, anything. She too 
Yeah, she gets it. Children from Russia as well. So yeah, she gets she it. If there's anything I do to support what you guys are doing there, please. I I have a feeling Nevada will have more success than California. California is just uh, it's just out of control here. And and you do you're right. You do have the potential to change there at least because it's uh, more manageable. But I don't know about here. David Robeck, the website bridgecounseling.org. The book will work for the untold stories of homelessness. David, I uh, hope we'll be in touch soon. All right. Thanks, Dr. All right. Drew. You have a wonderful day now. Great job. We'll see you all next time. For calling times and topics, follow the show on Twitter at Dr. Drew Podcast. That's D-R-D-R-E-W Podcast. The music from today's episode can be found on the swinging sounds of the Dr. Drew Podcast, now available on iTunes. And while you're there, don't forget to rate the show. The Dr. Drew Podcast is a Corolla Digital production and is produced by Chris Loxamana and Gary Smith. For more information, go to drdrew.com. All conversation and information exchanged during the participation in the Dr. Drew Podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes. Only. Do not confuse this with treatment or medical advice or direction. Nothing on these podcasts supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your medical caretakers. Although Dr. Drew is a licensed physician with specialty board certifications by the American Board of Internal Medicine and the American Board of Addiction Medicine, he is not functioning as a physician in this environment. The same applies to any professionals who may appear on the podcast or drdrew.com. Pluto TV is playing the biggest movies every night this summer for free. Watch hit movies like The Matrix, G.I. Joe Retaliation, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Scary Movie, Runaway Bride, and more all summer long. Check out the biggest stars like The Rock, Keanu Reeves, Tom Cruise, Julia Roberts, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and more. Plus, Pluto TV has hundreds of free TV channels in English and Spanish featuring TV shows, news, sports, comedy, and more all for free. Download the free Pluto TV app on your favorite streaming device, including Android and Apple smartphones. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free.